Thanks for checking out this sermon at New Beginnings. As a church, we exist to become an authentic, biblical community. That transforms our city and impacts the world. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to make you aware of a few things before we begin. First, we would love to connect with you on our website. NBBCTX.org. There you can find more information about who we are. Additional resources and links to our social media network. As well as an opportunity to give. To what God is doing in and through our church. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning, good morning. Glad you're here. If you're a guest, thank you for being uh, our guest today. My name is Todd Connors. I serve as uh, lead pastor here. It's always great to see new faces, so I hope you feel right at home today. We are in a series uh, called Who's Your One? And uh, what we're doing is we're just being challenged as a church family uh, in the area of personal evangelism, of taking the gospel to the world around us. And so here's kind of what we're doing in the series. We're, we're, we're targeting the individuals in our life or a person, at least one, a person in our life that God has strategically placed at the season we're in, locations we are in, uh, for the purpose of us building a relationship and sharing the gospel with them and inviting them into a personal relationship with Jesus. So we're asking you through this series to identify your one, who's your one, and, uh, and you would commit to sharing the gospel with them. And, and uh, as we think about this call to personal evangelism, here's the thing that we've discovered and I want to continue to press into is that this call to personal evangelism is not for the spiritual elite. It's not for those who would say, I'm a varsity Christian or, or maybe uh, for paid clergy or, or paid staff members. Uh, we call those professional Christians, right? Those who are paid to do it. Um, this is for everybody. Every single one of us are called uh, to, to take the, the, the message of Jesus and take it to the world around us. And, and, and it's a call that all of us have. And so some of you in the room are kind of like, I, I, you don't know me. I'm just an average person. I don't have any special gifts. There's nothing spectacular about me. I'm not that awesome. And, and you're saying, I'll just uh, show my faith and I'll just come to church and I'll pray for people, but I'll let the, the, the extraordinary people do the evangelism thing. So let me just address that for those of you who feel average, ordinary, not spectacular, like you're not awesome. Let me just help you with that this morning. I want to affirm the fact that you are ordinary and that you're not awesome and you're not very spectacular. And I know some of you are pushing back and you're going, but my mama said, and let me just tell you, your mama had to say it, all right? And uh, so I just want you to know, in this room, we're all average at best. We're ordinary. We're not spectacular. We're not awesome. But here's the great news of the gospel. Jesus never asked us to be awesome just to point to the fact that he is awesome, right? And so we, we, our calling is not to be spectacular, but to recognize that we have a spectacular message, and so we need to take this seriously and understand it's not about our giftedness or our talent or, or anything that should be unusual about us that causes us to be used by God in significant ways, but rather understand that we are spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ who have been radically changed by an unbelievable message, and all we have to do is be faithful to share that message with others, right? And so this is where we're going to be, because this is what the story of the Bible is. This is the, the, the story of Christianity, and what we find specifically in the book of Acts is God using ordinary people um, to do extraordinary things um, through the proclamation of the gospel. In fact, this is what we find. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be today. If you'll grab your Bibles, uh, we're going to look at an ordinary man in the Bible named Philip. Philip, there's nothing spectacular about Philip. There's nothing uh, above uh, average about Philip. He's just an ordinary a guy in the church who, who loves Jesus, who understands that Jesus has changed his life, 
And God uses him in an extraordinary way. As we think about Philip, Philip, in the book of Acts, he shows up as a, as a deacon. He's a servant in the church, and, 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 and uh, they, they appoint him as a deacon. So he's just a lay leader, a servant in the church, and he ends up being used by God to take uh, the gospel on its first foreign mission trip to Samaria. So the first foreign missionary wasn't an apostle or a pastor. It was Philip, this, this ordinary guy in the church. And, and eventually, uh, Philip is sent to this desert region in Gaza where he is going to share the gospel with one guy, all right, and that one guy is going to take the gospel uh, to, uh, to Ethiopia to the, be the first missionary uh, in Africa to take the gospel to that continent. And so as we think about this ordinary guy, uh, I want us to, to see that, that God has written a story for him and that same story can be written for us. So if you've got your Bibles, Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. start reading in verse 26. If you're there, say, got it? All right. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And then I love this. He tells him this is a desert place. In other words, this is not a desirable location. It's a desert place. It's barren. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian and a eunuch. So there's this, this, this guy that's going to be there. He's an Ethiopian, so he's from Ethiopia. And then it says he's a eunuch. This is a, this is a man who was castrated to fulfill a specific role within the court of the queen there in Ethiopia. I'm not going to go into great detail about what it means to be a eunuch, but if you want more details about that process, talk to John Cutler, our group's minister. He'll go into great detail after the service to answer all the questions that you have. All right? You're welcome, John. All right. He was a part of the court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. So this was a very prominent guy and a very significant role that he played. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, uh, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shears is silent. So he opened not his Mouth. In humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth. So he's reading a section of scripture in Isaiah that we would find around Isaiah 53. He's reading about the suffering servant. This is a, a messianic prophecy that Isaiah is giving about the Messiah who was to come that we know who find its fulfillment in Jesus. Look at verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I asked, does this prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now here, I want to pause here just for a moment. I love this. That this man, this Ethiopian is traveling and he's reading the, the scroll of Isaiah and the, about the suffering servant, the, the man who would come and die on the cross for, uh, to die for the, for the sins of the world so that we might be restored to God. He's reading this. He's confused. Philip gets in the chariot and starting there, uh, Philip unpacks the gospel for him, explains to him that the suffering servant in the passage is Jesus and that Jesus has come and that he died on the cross for his sins, that he resurrected. So he's unpacking the gospel. This, this guy is so overwhelmed, the message that he's hearing. I mean, he just simply stops. He places his faith in Jesus and says, hey, there's water right there. What keeps me from being baptized? 
So Philip is explaining the fact that, listen, we must place our faith and trust in Jesus, submit to his death and resurrection as our only, only hope. And when we do this, that we go public with our faith through baptism. And he's so moved by the gospel, he doesn't want to wait to be baptized. He's like, I see a creek over there. That's, that's my little translation. I see a creek over there. Let's go get baptized now. What keeps me from being baptized today, right now in this moment? Here, here's why that's significant. Listen, baptism is a declaration that followers of Jesus make when they become followers of Jesus Christ. When we trust in Jesus' death as the payment of our sin and his resurrection as new life for us, when we embrace that message, we are to be baptized to declare to the world that we are followers of Jesus, that we have embraced this message. So when you see someone go under the water, it is a statement of faith. I believe in the death of Jesus is my death. When they come out of the water, it is a statement of faith that says the, the, the resurrection of Jesus has given me brand new life. And listen, baptism is not, listen, it's not an option for the follower of Christ. It's an expectation. And what I love about this man is he is so moved by the gospel that he doesn't want to wait. He wants to tell the world right now that he's a follower of Jesus. Some of you in the room, you are followers of Jesus, but you have never gone public with your faith through baptism. And I would encourage you, let the example of this Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8 um, declare to you, listen, that if Jesus is truly your Lord and you have truly rested in the death and resurrection as your only hope, then you need to be baptized and, and be baptized soon. To say, I want the world to know that I'm a follower of Jesus. In fact, in the seat backs in front of you, there's a little cards there, a little guest cards. There's a place there if you want to be baptized, if you'll just fill that out, check that, and, and put it in the offering basket. We'll follow up with you this week. But listen, I, I just love the enthusiasm of this man, and I would love for those of you in this room who've never been baptized to share that enthusiasm and let us celebrate the new life that you have in Jesus. That's the sermonette of the day. All right, let's get on to the text. And verse 39, and they came up out of the water and the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Now, I, this, is a, this is crazy here. How many of you uh, Star Trek fans in the room back when you were a kid back in the day? You don't want to admit it because you got made fun of your whole life for it. I know, right? This was a beam me up Scotty moment, right? So he's just, he comes out of the water. Philip vanishes in this moment. He's taking to another community. We don't know really how this happens. We know this is a miraculous uh, transportation that, that is provided for Philip. And I don't know what the Ethiopian's thinking. Man, we went into the water together. I came up out of the water by myself. This thing is real, right? And, and Philip is, is gone, is, is, is taken to another city. And it says there he faithfully proclaims the gospel. Now here is what's fascinating about this. This is a, a singular moment where, where God takes Philip to the middle of nowhere to preach the gospel to this Ethiopian in the middle of a desert, in a place that no one really wants to be. And here's what we find out. Church history tells us, uh, the historian Eusebius writes this. He says that this Ethiopian is the first man to take the gospel to the continent of Africa. That what Philip is a part of is one of the most strategic gospel moves in the history of the church. That God had a vision for the world and he orchestrated it so that this man would be traveling through this location. And he says, Philip, I want you to go here. I'm not going to tell you who you're going to. When you get there, I'll let you know. And this conversation happens. This man's life has changed forever. And, and the continent of Africa now has the gospel. He was in the region of Ethiopia, which is a very small location now. But ev everything south of the Nile would have been Ethiopia at this particular day. 
And this is a pretty extraordinary moment where Philip is used in a way that's just far beyond the wildest imagination that God would use him to get the gospel there. By the way, our team just got back from, from Rwanda and Burundi. We just got back from the continent of Africa. We went there to help plant churches and, and to share the gospel. Can I just give you a good news? We didn't go to take the gospel to Africa. We went to join the gospel work that was already there in Africa that started back here in Acts chapter 8 when God sent Philip to the desert to lead a man to Christ who would take the gospel to a continent. How crazy is that? This ordinary guy who was just a deacon in Acts chapter 6 is now a part of the one of the most strategic gospel movements um, that we've ever seen. And so here's the question. How does God use ordinary people like this? And can he use us like this? And I think the answer is absolutely uh, yes. And so here's what I want to do. I want to I highlight four lessons we learned from Philip. Four lessons we learned from Philip. If we want to be just ordinary people used by God in extraordinary ways, here's four lessons we learned from Philip that, that I believe will put us in a position where God can use us this way. And I, I hope you're a note taker. If, if you love Jesus, you are a note taker. So I don't want to question that. If you're not a note taker, I do question your love for Jesus. But that's between you and him, and I'm not going to get into that. All right? So but seriously, I, I write these four things down if you're taking notes. Here's number one. How, how, how do we, what do we learn from Philip? Um, from his life that, that God could then shape in our hearts to put us in a position to be used by him in an extraordinary way. Number one is this, be faithful where you are. First lesson we learned from Philip is this, be faithful where you are. You see, here's the story of Philip. In Acts chapter 6, I love this, the gospel is exploding in Jerusalem. Men and women are coming to faith by the thousands, right? And so as the, the church grows, you have the apostles and they're going, oh goodness, uh, God's at work. And there are so many needs within the body of believers that we now have, this church that we have now seen birth with thousands of people. And there are so many needs within the body that if we go and serve the body, it's going to distract us from the primary calling, which is to pray and to preach. And so what do we do? The apostles get together and they say, you know what we need to do? There, there are legitimate needs within the body, specifically with the widows. There, there's food needs and distribution needs. And so let's do this. Let's find um, seven brothers who are faithful and we will appoint them as servants in the church so that they can give oversight to this so that we don't neglect our primary calling. And so here's what they did. They just looked for seven uh, men who were full of the Holy Spirit, who had wisdom, and who were just faithful. Philip was one of the seven that was selected in Acts chapter 6. He was one of the deacons, the first deacons, table waiters, men who were just faithful servants and said, you know what, if there's a need in the body, you, you, you let us know and we're going to serve the body. We're going to make sure that the gospel ministry doesn't get hindered by the needs of the church. And so Philip was a faithful man in Acts chapter 6. And then you see at the end of Acts chapter 6, the gospel expanding, Acts chapter 7, there, there's another man by the name of Stephen, by the way, another deacon, not an apostle, not a, not a professional uh, minister, just a servant in the church. He's the first martyr that we see. And in Acts chapter 7, something happens. There's a shift and there's massive persecution that breaks out in Jerusalem. And the church is scattered all over the region. And a part of that scattering we find in Acts chapter 8, Philip finds himself in Samaria. Look what happens in verse number four. It says, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention uh, to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. What do we find with Philip? He's faithful as a deacon 
And now that there's persecution and now the church is scattered, and specifically in verses 1 through 3, it says that as they were scattered, the only ones that weren't scattered were the apostles. And so now what you have is just your, your everyday church members being scattered. Philip is in Samaria, and he understands the gospel has to go forward, and he doesn't wait for somebody else to do it. He says, no, I'm going to be faithful. I'm just going to begin to preach the gospel. So you find him faithful in Acts chapter 6, the first part of Acts chapter 8. You, you find that God comes and says, I want you to go to Gaza and share uh, the story of of Jesus with this man in a desert and he goes he's faithful to the task and then you see God move him to another region at the end of Acts chapter 8 and what do you find that Philip is faithful Philip's like you you need somebody just to serve the church I'm your guy you need somebody to go to Samaria and and preach the gospel I'm your guy you need somebody to go to a desert count me in you need someone to go to Astus and, and preach there I'm going I'm your guy what do you find is that he is a pattern he is a life that exemplifies faithfulness listen if you want to be used if we want to be men and women who are used by God it's ordinary people in extraordinary ways listen we must simply be faithful where we are this is a man who was exemplified what it means to be faithful where he was. Some of you in the room this morning, you are looking for other opportunities but not being faithful to the ones you're in. Could it be that God placed you in the neighborhood that you're desperately trying to get out of? Because there is gospel ministry in your neighborhood, neighbors that need to know Jesus? Could it be that God has worked in, in your life to put you in the school district you're in so that relationships could be established uh, as you're there as a teacher or a coach so that, that through that work you could share the gospel and show Christ to the people around you? Could it be that that dead-end job that you hate and despise and Monday's miserable because you've got to get up and go do it again and 10 years ago you'd never imagine you'd be working in that location doing that thing and you just drag yourself there? Could it be that God has orchestrated and placed you where you are because he has a mission for you? And here is my encouragement to you. Listen, people who are used by God in extraordinary ways are people who are faithful wherever God places them. Well, let me help you with this. Listen. Your current position is your mission. Your current position is your mission. Be faithful to the mission. Be faithful where you are. Here's the second lesson we learn from Philip. Not only be faithful where you are, here's number two. Be, be obedient to what God says. Be obedient to what God says. Look what he says in verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Then he qualifies this. This is a desert place. And listen to this. And he rose and went. Now I want you to think about what's happening in the story. All right. So persecution breaks out in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 8, Philip is in Samaria. The first foreign mission trip happens. He's preaching the gospel. Samaritans are giving their life to Jesus by the hundreds and thousands. So what you find is Philip is a part of one of the largest revivals in church history. I mean, you're talking about a vibrant ministry. He, he goes from deacon now. He, he is leading a revival. In fact, it was such a revival that the apostles heard about it in Jerusalem and said, we got to go check this thing out. So they go, the, the professional Christians, they go to Samaria, and they're blown away at what God is doing through Philip there in Samaria. And I love it that, that when God does major work, the preachers come in and do the cleanup because the, 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 the church people are the one doing all the work, Right? And so they, they get there. So now what you have is that Philip is in the middle of a massive revival. The apostles are there. And this has got to be a sweet time of life for Philip, right? 
hundreds and thousands of people being saved and baptized in the middle of all of that, God says to him, you're going to Gaza to a desert and you need to go now. And it says that Philip just said, yes, Lord. And he went. Listen, God didn't tell him who he was going for, how many people he was going to reach, what the details of it was. All he said was, you're going to a desert. By the way, let me just give you a couple of details about this this journey that Philip had to take. It was 165 miles by foot, 165 mile walk that he had to take to this place. And by the way, it's a desert, so it's not an easy walk, right? It's Philistine territory. If you read the Old Testament, that's not real popular for Jewish boys, right? Like that's, that, there's, a, there's a bad track record there. And then he's going there for one guy. So he's called out of a vibrant, mighty revival to go to a desert on foot, 165 miles, to enemy territory because there's one guy. You know what that says to me? That God cares about the one. He cares about the one. He cares about the individuals. We get so overwhelmed with the masses and the hundreds. And then I rejoice when there's masses and there are hundreds. But listen, God rejoices when there's one. And he goes and he says, yes, I'm going. And even though he doesn't have the details, he's faithful and he's obedient to what God says. And then he gets to the desert, by the way, by foot, 165 miles that I mentioned that. The reason I mention that is some of you have said no to going to some of our foreign mission trips because you're like, I don't want to go because it's 20 hours on a plane where they feed you nonstop and you watch television, right? That's, yeah, yeah, suffering for Jesus, right? 165 miles on foot, he gets to the desert, and, 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 and the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go to that chariot. I love what he says in verse 30. This, is the, this literally summarizes his life, so Philip ran to him. Philip is a man who has a pattern of obedience to whatever God says he does. Listen, if we're going to be men and women who are used by God in great ways, listen, we must be men and women who are obedient to go where God sends and do what God says. We will never be used in extraordinary ways through a life of disobedience. And by the way, listen, delayed obedience is what? It's disobedience. God has called us now to go and take Jesus to the world. And if we can't be obedient in our neighborhood and our workplace, listen, we will never be obedient to the bigger things that God may put before us. This is a man who exemplified obedience. I've I've told this story before. There was a revival services uh, at one particular church, and the pastor was preaching about the mission of God and how we need to go where God sends and go to who God sends us to. And and so at the last night of revival, um, music started playing. They called for an invitation, and the pastor said, I want you to get a piece of paper, and I want you to write the the, the name that God has given you, kind of like we're doing with who's your one or or the place that he's calling you to go. And and I want want you to come and lay this on the altar. And and as the, the invitation was going, a little boy about 11 years old, leaves the seat and he walks up and he has a piece of paper and he lays it right in front of the pastor on the stage. The pastor glances down and he sees this little 11-year-old boy, lays this piece of paper down and all it says is yes. And the pastor's curious so he, he grabs the paper and he goes to the little boy and says, hey listen, I, I noticed you know, we called for if God's given you a name or a place, just write that down and put it on the altar. And he said, but you just wrote yes, where is it that God's calling you to go? And the little boy just said, I don't know yet, but when he does, he already has my answer. Here's my question for you. Is your yes on the altar? Is your yes on the altar? Are are you willing to go wherever God sends? Are you willing to do whatever God says? Listen, for some of us, we have contingency yeses. We will say yes if the scenario is right or if the location is, is just perfect or if the person likes me or I like them. If the thing is, the, everything is just, just right, then yes, my, my yes is yours. But if not, then I'm going to have reservations about it. Listen, we've got to be men and women whose yes is on the altar. 
with no strings attached. The question you need to ask yourself this morning is your yes on the altar. Are you willing to be faithful where you are? Are you willing to go where God sins? Be obedient to what God says. Here's, here's number three. Be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Now I want you to think about what's happening in the story. I want you to see the significance of some of the details that oftentimes we overlook. The scripture specifically says that this man was an Ethiopian and that he was a eunuch. This, this describes his physical condition for the purposes of serving in, in the, 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 the queen's court. But, but this is a, it describes specifically that this Ethiopian, who was a eunuch, physical condition, was coming back from Jerusalem where he went to worship. So he went to Jerusalem. So think about this. He's a pagan. He's an Ethiopian. He travels to Jerusalem to go to the temple because he is intrigued by the God of Israel, which is, by the way, the true and living God that sent Christ his son. He just didn't know that part of the story. So he goes to worship at the temple, and when he gets to, the, to worship at the temple, this is what he would have found on the outer court of the temple. This is what he would have seen on a sign. It would have said this, no lame, no blind, and no eunuchs may enter here. This is a man that, according to the culture of the day, would have been rejected by God and had no access to fellowship with God. He goes to worship only to find that he's been rejected. I don't know whether it's his first trip or second trip or third trip or if he knew what he was going to expect, but all we know is, is that he would have been put out of the temple and not permitted in to worship because his physical condition was a declaration according to the culture and society that you were cut off from God. There was no hope of a relationship with God. And so just imagine with me what might be going through this man's mind. All this way he travels thousands of miles to Jerusalem where he finds himself that I'm rejected, I'm without hope, I want relationship with God I'm intrigued by the God of Israel but I'm not accepted by him and now he's making the long journey back maybe empty maybe broken maybe wondering is there hope for me and so what does he do he grabs the scroll of Isaiah and he opens it up and just so happens that the Holy Spirit where this man is in his life brings him to Isaiah 53 where we begin to see that Jesus will be wounded for our transgressions he would be crushed for our iniquities the chastisement that brought us peace with God would be upon him and by his wounds we could be healed and he begins to read the story about the fact that there is one who died so that we somehow can be reconciled to God and he's confused by it all but listen he's he's captured by this let me tell you why I believe he's captured by this you see in our English Bibles today we we have verses and chapters right when well, the this particular day there wouldn't have been verses and chapters there would have been sections and Isaiah 53 would have been a part of a larger section that this man would have read. I want, to, I want to read a few verses on and show you what I believe captured this man's heart and caused him to yearn for answers to what was happening in the story. Later on in Isaiah 56, verse 3, in the same section of Scripture, this is what he would have read. Let not the foreigner, who he is a foreigner, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord surely will separate me from his people. And net, not, let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuch who keeps my Sabbaths, who chooses the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house, the house he was just rejected from. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that is better than sons and daughters. And I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I mean, you talk about 
the Holy Spirit moment. This man is rejected. There's no hope for you of entering into a relationship with God. Your physical condition keeps you from that. But then he opens the scroll and he reads about a man who's going to die so that we can be restored to God. And he's wondering, is that going to fit into my condition and my life and where I am? Only to find that there's a word specifically for him that a man in your condition, not only is there a place in the house of the Lord for you, but you're going to be given a name that's better than sons and daughters. And you're going to have a place in the house that will never be taken away from you. The Holy Spirit is setting this thing up. And I just want you to think about this. So he's traveling back. He's, he's reading the scrolls. He's seeing the gospel but not understanding the gospel. At the very same moment, Philip happens to be in the middle of Nowhereville Desert Gaza that he doesn't want to be in. And he sees a chariot and the Holy Spirit says, that's the chariot, run to it. So he runs to the chariot only to hear this man reading from the prophet Isaiah about a scripture that is pointing to Jesus I love this. I mean, this is not a Holy Spirit moment. I don't know one. They tease the whole thing up. Like, that's not coincidence, right? So what does Philip do? Look at verse 35. I love this. Then Philip, so he climbs the chariot. Then Philip opened his mouth. We'll come back to that. And beginning with this scripture. Which scripture? Isaiah 53, the section of scripture that he's already in. Beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Philip recognizes what the Holy Spirit is doing. He recognizes that there's a work already being done, and so he doesn't climb the chariot and say, okay, let me give you my canned, planned, trained evangelism strategy, and I'm going to come up here, and I'm just going to start where I was trained to start. Listen, I'm not against training ourselves in evangelism. We're going to do that even in this series. I think we all need to plan and be prepared, but here's the thing we need to know. More than being prepared with some sort of strategic plan where we can walk somebody through the gospel, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he's already doing. He doesn't get up there and he's like, okay, faith, let me give start with the F. Let me kind of walk you through this thing. What does he do? Starting where the Holy Spirit had already started, he just shared the gospel. Listen, we need to be looking for Holy Spirit moments and being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing and just join the work. And by the way, this gives me confidence. This is why Philip, I think, I mean, God teed him up. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Just like set it up to where you're going to hit a home run, but you did nothing really here. People are going to be talking about this man who used guy I used to do this deal, but I'm doing all the work. This gives me such confidence that long before Philip entered the equation, God was already at work in the heart of the Ethiopian. He, he just allowed Philip to be a part of it. This gives me great confidence. Like this morning, I was thinking about that. I thought, you know what? I, I, don't have to, I don't have to worry about trying to somehow convince you or capture your hearts this morning as I preach to you. You know why? For some of you, the Holy Spirit has already been cultivating your heart long before you walked in. But I can just join the work that he's already doing and just say what he says to say, knowing that he's given me something to say and, and he's already at work in some of your hearts that he's preparing you for this. And this is what's happening in the moment. And if we're going to be men and women who are used by God as ordinary people to do extraordinary things, we've got to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is already doing. I'll just give you an example of this. I told you our, tri our team got back from... Uh, Burundi and Rwanda. So we've been in Africa for uh, the last 11 days or so. And um, by the way, let me just share some stats with you just real quick. Uh, uh, over 2,000 people um, had medical treatment provided for them. 
uh, through our doctors and the teams that were there. 2,000 people received individual care. Uh, there were 100 families that received medical insurance for a year that's going to give health care for those families for an entire year, which is pretty amazing. And 600 people gave their life to Jesus this last week. And uh, just phenomenal. I'm so grateful for George Willis, um, our missions minister, and the team that went and served. And, but one of the things that happened on this trip, uh, George had sent me a message. that just said, hey, I just want to keep you in the loop that our, our Burundi team um, had uh, someone come in and s- steal some money, kind of got into some of our areas and stole about $2,800 of our mission money that was there. And, and he says, we're going through all the traps, trying to locate the money and find who it was and working with the authorities here. But I uh, just wanted to keep you in the loop. But then he says, but, but let me tell you what happened through this story. Um, so they, they kind of got derailed. Some of them got derailed from the mission because they had to go to the police station and report this. So as they were in, in there, some were making the report. A group of our, our members were out on the, on the church, on the, on the vans there, just kind of waiting for all this. Well, anytime Westerners go into these kind of areas, it draws a crowd. And so you got a whole bus full of Westerners, and all of a sudden you got this big crowd around. And David Winkler, one of the guys on our trip, he says, you know what, God's got us here. We're not derailed from mission. Let's stay on it. He gets out of the bus. He shares the gospel. And there, this is a Muslim-dominated community, and there's a Muslim teenage, uh, teenager there who's, who's so intrigued by the message that David is delivering. And he begins to ask questions about the gospel, and before it's over with, his heart is melted, and he says, I no longer want to be Muslim. I want to be a follower of Jesus because I've never heard that before today. And he gave his life to Jesus outside a police station, a place we weren't supposed to be without somebody stealing the money, right? Are you kidding me? I mean, could it be that God says, yeah, you put your hands together. That's something to celebrate. Could it be that God says, you know what? I think I'm going to do something. I'm going to take someone's greedy, sinful heart. He's going to steal some money because I got a police station. There's going to be this Muslim boy who got up and he's questioning his eternity, not certain about where he's going to spend eternity, uncertain about his relationship with me. And I'm going to use some theft over here to save a boy over here. Why? Because God cares about the one, and the Holy Spirit is always working, always wooing, always calling, but we are called to join that work, and we must be sensitive to what he's doing and just get in the game. Which leads me to number four. Number four is this. We need to be ready to share the gospel. We need to be ready to share the gospel. This is number four, so you've got to be, be faithful where you are. Be obedient to what God says. Be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then simply be ready to share the gospel. Be ready to share the gospel. I love this. But look what he says again in, in verse 35. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth. I want to come back to that. And beginning with the scripture, told him the good news about Jesus. Now, four times in chapter 8, four times, different locations. It specifically talks about Philip sharing the gospel, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. That no matter what the conversation was, Philip was going to find a way to share the gospel, to make a beeline to the cross and and to talk about the gospel. And I love what it says here. It says then, so Philip's putting the pieces together. You got a guy traveling, reading Isaiah about Jesus. Jesus sent me here for him. All right, I'm putting two two together. Look what it says here. He opened his mouth and he told him the good news about Jesus. He opened his mouth. He spoke. Philip understood the necessity of opening the mouth to share the gospel. He understood that the message of the gospel is only good news if someone hears about it. 
That the gospel is great news, but that great news cannot be heard unless there is someone who actively engages and shares the message. If the gospel is a message, messages are meant to be heard. Messages cannot be heard unless someone shares the message. Listen, we've got these nonsense cliches, and I want to help you stomp this junk out of your life, all right? Thank you, Jesus, all right? Cliches like, well, I will share the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. That's nonsense. Let me tell you why it's nonsense. The gospel is meant to be shared. The gospel literally means an announcement of good news. Listen, listen, we, we must understand that the, the answer that people are looking for in life is, is not to know that you're a good guy or you're a good girl. It is to know that there is a good God who sent Jesus that can deliver them from their sin. And we must share that message. This showing it through our life and then sharing it when needed misses the point. The point is show Jesus and share Jesus at all times. Look for opportunities to open your mouth and engage a lost world. Listen, we've got the hope of the world that the longing of the human heart is a longing for Jesus. The sin that is destroying the, the entire planet can be dealt with in the person of Jesus. Think about this. Think about if you had a doctor. And let's say your, your doctor, you know, he discovers the cure of cancer. And he has four, five, six patients that have cancer, and he knows they've got cancer, but he knows the cure for cancer. But he says, you know, I just want to be a good doctor. Like, I'm just going to have small talk with them when they come in. I'm going to give them some little medication, headache medicine, things like that, that might be able to help manage their pain. I just want them to know I'm a good guy, and I care about them. I don't want to get into all of the whole cure thing because I just I don't want to get into that. That's kind of their business. I just want to manage some of the things they're coming to me about. Would that be a good doctor? No, that would be an evil doctor, right? Why? Because the thing that they need the most, you have the answer to, but you're not sharing that with them, just simply trying to be a good guy. How much more evil then would it be for us to say, I just want to show Jesus through my life, but I don't want to share Jesus with my words. To know that the friends around you who are hurting or are struggling, for us to dance around the issue and give them pain medication, to give good advice, to try to help them navigate. I just want to be a good person. I want to get into all of that. Listen, how much more evil is it for us to know that the, the cure for the sin plague that has conditioned the heart of all humanity, that we know, we've experienced, we walk in the healing power of the gospel, but not share that same healing power with someone else. How evil is that? You see, here's what Paul says about the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verse 13, he says, Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Is that good news? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But he goes on to ask this question in the very next verses. How can they call on him whom they've not believed? And how can they believe in him who they've never heard? And how can they hear without a preaching or preacher or someone who's going to share? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But they can't call on the one who can't, they don't believe in, and they can't believe in the one they've never heard of, and they can't hear of them unless someone goes and tells them. We have got to understand that we are called to share the gospel. God's primary means of saving the world is his message being delivered by his messengers. Jesus is the message, Amen. But we are the messengers. So the question is, as we look at a man who's been used by God in this way, this ordinary guy used in an extraordinary way, the question is, does God still do this? Does God still work in people's lives like this? 
I mean, is this just book of Acts stuff that we say, you know, God's done with that, or does he still do that? Does he still call and raise up people and do extraordinary things that we never imagined they would do through just ordinary people? And the answer is yes. And I want to invite uh, Miles and Katie Adamson to join me on stage. I want you to hear their testimony. You guys put your hands together and welcome Miles and Katie. And, and I'm telling you right now, this, this, this couple here, this family here, this is a modern-day uh, Philip family right here. Ordinary parts of our church, part of the body of Christ who, who God is using in an extraordinary way. Miles and Katie, thank you all, by the way, for being here and be willing to share a few uh, moments with us about your story. Uh, Miles and Katie have been serving in our church now uh, just as, as members for seven years. They've, uh, the day they, they started coming to New Beginnings, they jumped in both feet and they've served in various capacities in life group and just uh, whatever's needed in the church as, as life group leaders. And then eventually as the church grew and we had to ordain more deacons, um, Miles was ordained as a deacon, and they've served faithfully in that capacity, caring for needs of the body. And uh, most recent days, um, they, they have been working with uh, foster children. Uh, they've now adopted uh, a little girl into their family. And, um, and uh, the last 18 months to, to two years, they've been working in our college ministry, um, faithfully pouring into college students. In fact, Miles has served as what we call an associate uh, minister, um, which basically means that he has all the responsibilities of a staff person, just doesn't get a paycheck for it. And uh, we're grateful for that, by the way. Uh, you came at a great price. And um, so we're, we're grateful for the way that God has, has used them. But in, in, through the college ministry, uh, they've been leading a, a team of college students the last couple of years up to Las Vegas to, to work with a church uh, plant that we're partners with there called Walk Church, uh, Pastor Hayden Ratner is their pastor. He's come and spoken at a men's, spoken at a men's event for us. Um, they've been working there, and, and through that, God is now transitioning them uh, to go be a part of a brand new work in uh, Las Vegas. And so tell us a little bit about this, this thing that God is doing and this new opportunity that's in front of you. Yeah. So just as Pastor Todd was uh, speaking towards, there's a, an opportunity for uh, a church plant, uh, very similar to Walk Church, but in another area of Las Vegas. Um, there's a place called Mountain's Edge, which is a, a southern expansion of Las Vegas, where there's, uh, at the end of their construction, is going to be 60,000 uh, individuals who are living in this area without one evangelical church. Uh, and so there's no gospel uh, footprint, and that's, uh, that's where really church planting comes, comes into because church planting is uh, essentially just uh, a strategic um, uh, placement of a, uh, a church body in order to be able to spread the kingdom uh, and the good news of Jesus Christ where there isn't any momentum there. And, and so you guys are, are going to be a part of this brand new work, but I'm, I've kind of described the, the various ways that you guys have served the church, but, but how has God used you here the last seven years? And did you ever see a day coming where he would say, you're leaving East Texas to go to Las Vegas, Nevada? Yeah. So the short answer is no. Uh, I, I <laughs> don't know that um, we ever had that on our radar. Uh, both Katie and I are, were born and raised in East Texas. Uh, we've lived here all of our life uh, and love it here. Uh, and so we're not thinking of that at all. Uh, and we're, we're really content in ministry as well. God was using us here, uh, has been using us here in college ministry. And we, we've known that we were called to that. Uh, and just to be able to see uh, disciples made through our college ministry has been a, uh, just a, a tremendous blessing. Um, but, uh, but God, uh, he, he changes things. And so um, that's, that's where uh, that interjected. Yeah, so think about this. So he's, he's a part of a, a ministry here, becomes a deacon, serving faithfully, and now God's sending him to the desert, just like Philip, right? So this is, this is I told you, this is the modern-day version right here. 
Um, but, but Katie, I know, you know, you've, you've served right alongside Miles and, and have been a great example to our church body of just a godly woman who, who loves Jesus and is serious about the mission. Uh, how has God used your time here to shape your heart and prepare you uh, for this new adventure? Yeah, the Lord has used um, so many people um, to shape our hearts, conversations just about um, the gospel moving forward um, through college ministry, through um, just people we're surrounded by um, to lead us to have conversations that our yes has been on the table for years and um, just not knowing what that would be, but knowing that God is always calling ordinary people to step out into deeper waters and to step out in faith and see him show up. And so he has shaped us through just that way and through fostering and adopting. Um, it's the Lord has just done so many things to lead us to here. To this point. What about you? I know for you, there, there's a kind of element of the importance of church presence and specifically church planning that God has kind of shaped your heart in the last few years about. Talk to me about that. Yeah, so we've, we've had both had several opportunities to go on mission efforts um, <laughs> with New Beginnings in, in order to see what, um, what it means to have, have churches planted in areas where, uh, where the gospel isn't being reached. And, and just seeing the way that God moves uh, his kingdom through those opportunities. And so because of that, uh, you know, just really starting to well up in Katie and I's life, uh, one of the things that we try to do on a regular basis as just a couple and a family is to have a conversation um, just to ask you know, where God would you be leading us as a family? Where, where do you want us to be serving? Where do you want us to be uh, heading? And so as we've been having that conversation over the last probably couple of years, um, just really feeling this draw towards church planning and being a part of the way that God is moving the gospel and advancing his kingdom through uh, those efforts. Yeah. And so in March, you took a trip with a group of college students um, to Las Vegas to partner with Walk Church. You're introduced to Ryan, who is the church planner, coming out of Walk Church to this new area, 60,000 people, no evangelical presence. Um, and something happened in your heart on that trip through the interaction with Ryan. Talk to us about that. So there was one morning in particular that uh, during this mission trip, we, were, we went up onto this kind of a mountaintop hill. We were able to look over Mountain's Edge and... Um, uh, Ryan had asked us to go up there so that we could pray specifically for that area because he's preparing uh, to, to begin that church work there. And, and as he was sharing with us just the, the tr tremendous need that is, uh, that is there, but also the, his prayer requests and what he's asking God to do in that area, specifically one of his prayers being that he, he's praying for uh, godly people to come and join him in that effort. Uh, to, to be an integral part of what God is doing uh, in that area. And so as, as I just began praying and, and began looking out over this, this area and this, these, um, these homes, uh, just God just really began to speak to me and show me uh, that, uh, that this, this could very, very well potentially be where God would be calling our family. Uh, and I couldn't help but think about Matthew 9 when, when Jesus, uh, Jesus says that the laborers are few, or the uh, uh, harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Uh, and just looking and, and remembering that 60,000 that doesn't have uh, anyone that's uh, going and harvesting that for the gospel. And so, you, you know, you have this wrestling in your heart. Both of you have been praying, God, what does this next season of life look like for us? The Lord speaks to you very clearly. And I think Ryan said he was praying, hoping a college student would, would catch a vision for this and want to relocate, not realizing that an entire family was going to join the team. And uh, so God solidifies that in you. So you hear the call of God, but then you've got to make a call. That's right. You've got to call Katie. 
And, uh, and so, Katie, you received that call, um, not from the Lord, but from Miles. Um, tell us about what your thoughts were. Um, so I had <laughs> a call, and um, really, I wasn't surprised. Um, I, the Lord gave me a total peace, um, and just knowing the season of restlessness that we're in and all the, the seasons that were coming to a close and the transitions that had just happened within our own family, um, the Lord just made it very clear that all of this was leading to, to this. And so I was just, of course, of course, this is what we're doing. And so all of the last couple of years of preparation, it all started to make sense for you guys. And so when you think about, you know, just you said yes there at Mountain's Edge, call Katie. Katie says yes. And, but you're, it's a big yes. I mean, you're transitioning your entire family. Everything you've known has been somewhat East Texas, and you're going to a, a brand new area. Tell us about God's faithfulness since you said yes. What have you seen him do? Yeah, so, so I could talk at length about just ways that God has answered prayers uh, and been faithful to our family just to prepare us for this. Um, but a few of those uh, that are really large, our, our home sold within, or, or got an offer within 48 hours, uh, which sometimes that process of selling your home can be a lot longer than that. Uh, so God was faithful in showing us favor in that instance. Um, uh, he has provided for me a job opportunity in Las Vegas where I'll be able to work with a Christian healthcare organization uh, and who who not only gives great uh, medical care, but also uh, has a heart for the gospel and to see the gospel move in Las Vegas. And so just another uh, amazing opportunity that uh, I didn't even know to pray for, I feel like, but uh, God just being faithful to, to provide for opportunities there. Yes, um, before I finally got to make a trip out to Las Vegas, um, I sat down and made a list of just prayer requests we were praying over the, over the trip. Um, and the Lord was faithful to just answer every single one as we look back. Um, and so one of those was for a great school for our kids and for um, our youngest son has some special needs for a school that would have a good program to help him continue to um, get the help he needs and to continue to grow and thrive. And so um, that the Lord has that um, in this um, community is just of course, he's, he's answering all of these things. And that's incredible. One of the things, you know, Miles, by, by trade, is his, his vocation is he's a nurse practitioner. And, um, and so he's been looking for a job. And this, this guy flies him up to, to meet him at this clinic that's, that's a kind of a Christian uh, healthcare provider and uh, offers him the job and tells him, we have been praying for this position for over a year. And you're the answer to a prayer that's been prayed by so many. It's incredible. It's God orchestrated all of that. And, um, and so what, what most excites you guys about this, uh, this opportunity? Yeah, so I, I, I want to see the city of Las Vegas changed. I want to see, see God move in tremendous ways. One of the things that's amazing is that because of God's faithfulness, um, we can expect great things from God. Um, but, uh, I mean, Ephesians 3, even through our recent campaign, um, promises us that he's going to do far more abundantly than we can hope or dream. And so I'm excited to see... I'm, I'm excited to see God surprise us. You know, I want to be, be selfish and, and, and let, God, let God surprise us with how, how amazing he's going to work in that area. That's amazing. And so, so Katie, for, for you guys, tell us how we can pray for your family as you all make this transition. Mm -hmm. um, you can, first of all, uh, pray for our kids. Um, 
This is a big change for them. They are um, eight, six, four, and two. And so um, just pray that their um, transition, um, they're excited, they're on board, and they, with what they understand, they are so excited that we're moving to Las Vegas to share Jesus. And so that they would just continue in that excitement and um, that they would find friends. That's incredible. And uh, this is a family that I love and, and, and have grown close to uh, the past several years. And I'm so proud of y'all. I'm so proud of the, the boldness you guys have had for the last seven years to, to just be faithful where you are. And uh, then you're, you've been obedient to what God says. Uh, you've been sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I know the boldness you have to share the gospel. And, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for uh, just the example you've been for me and for our church. And while we're sad in the next uh, few days to see you guys make this move, um, just know that you're, you're it's an extended part of the family, and, and uh, we got work to do together in, in Las Vegas. And uh, last week, I had the privilege, uh, about a week and a half, I got the privilege to go to a convention. And at the convention, I got to tag up with Hayden Ratner, who is the pastor of the church plant that we're part of there in Las Vegas already called Walk Church. God is doing an unbelievable thing um, there, are hundreds of people being saved, baptized. And uh, Hyde and I had coffee together, and he wanted to introduce me to Ryan. Ryan is the church planner that's leaving Walk Church that, that Miles and Katie will be partnering with to go start this brand new work. So this is uh, Ryan is a disciple of, of Hyden and, and partnering and sending uh, uh, Ryan out. And so I had a chance to have uh, coffee with both Hyden and, and Ryan, who is going to be their new pastor, and, uh, and uh, such a sharp guy. And through that conversation, I just shared with him what we were going to be doing today, talking about Philip and then how they're modern-day examples of Philip. And Ryan hopped on a plane, flew out uh, yesterday, and he is with us this morning. And so, Ryan, I'm going to ask you to join us on stage. This is Ryan Ivey. And uh, Ryan is, 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 the, is the one who's planning this church and that, that Miles and Katie are partnering with. Ryan and his bride have a baby on the way, and they are foster parents with two kids right now placed in their home. And I'm so grateful, Ryan, that you decided to, hey, man, I want to support Miles and Katie and uh, be a part of this day. It's a big day for them, big day for our church. And so uh, he just jumped out here and wanted to meet you guys. And I just want you to know, Ryan, we're praying for you. We're behind you. We're, we're, we're overwhelmed with what uh, we believe God is going to do uh, through you in this new church. And not only are we going to be committed to sending teams uh, to you, we, we want to get behind you financially in our missions budget and just know that we love this family. And uh, we're grateful that um, they've got a great pastor to step in and be a shepherd uh, for them. And so we're just overwhelmed at God's grace uh, in providing you to be a part of this, uh, this, this season of their life. And so, church family, I want to do something. I want to pray over Ryan and uh, Miles and Katie. Just ask the Lord's blessing on them. Just extend your hand out uh, to them as I pray uh, over them. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for Ryan. And we specifically pray for his family, God, that as they have said yes and they've moved their life from uh, Mobile, Alabama to Las Vegas, Nevada, and as they have decided to put down roots and start a new work, God, I pray that all the, the funding and support that they need, the partners that they need to go out and join the effort, God, I, I just thank you, Lord, that, that you have birthed this in Ryan's heart. And God, now uh, Miles and Katie get to join in that vision and be a part of that good work. And I pray your, your greatest blessings over them as they transition, as they put their yes on the altar. I pray that you would provide everything that they need, that the peace that's beyond understanding would guard their hearts. I pray for new friendships that, that are going to be forged. Father, I pray for um, just this spiritual growth that they're going to experience that they've never experienced so far. 
And God, I pray that your protection on their family, that, that everything that their children need as they make this transition, that you will provide according to your abundance, according to your riches, according to your favor, God. And we just laid this, this family before you, asking, Lord, that you would do great things. And as we as a church, we partner with them in the gospel ministry, that it's not about new beginnings, it's not about Longview or Gilmer or any other location that we may find ourselves in. It is about the kingdom of God. Lord, may we be faithful to come alongside our brothers and sisters, Lord, in, in, in Las Vegas to see a great work done there. God, we lay them before you and we celebrate what you're doing in them in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, and I'm going to ask these guys to dismiss to our foyer. There's a table set up that Ryan has prayer cards available, brochures about this new work. Miles and Katie will be there. If you want to come and ask questions, uh, you can do so there um, in just a few moments. I encourage you to go find out more ways that you can encourage them and, 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 and information, ways that you can serve them. I'll just tell you real quick, I had a lady stop me in the foyer after the first service, and here's what she said. She said, I've lived in Las Vegas, and I've moved to Longview back home, but I'm moving back in October. And she happened to be in service this morning. She's like, I need to connect with them uh, because when I move back, and now I know people that I can connect with to find a church home. God is at work. And that is no coincidence. And so it's a joy to, to see God do what he's doing. And as a church, I want to encourage you, let's get behind it. Um, Katie and Miles are the first, I believe, of, of a number of couples that we're going to be sending off over the next few years to be a part of things like this. So thank you guys for your faith. Let's put your hands together as they make their way to the foyer. We love you guys. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to just take a few moments and just think about process where we've been this morning. And where you are. And I want to get you to wrestle with four questions. Four questions. And they're simple questions. Number one question is this. Is that are you faithful where you are? Are you faithful where you are? Are you taking the opportunities that God is putting in front of you in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in the school, what, the friend group that you're in, whatever it might be. Are you being faithful where you are? Question number two is this. Are you being obedient to what God says? Are there places God's calling you to go that you have put contingencies in? Are there people he's calling you to talk to that you've not been obedient in? Are you being obedient to what God says? Number three is this. Are you being uh, sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing? Are you listening to his voice? Are you responding to his prompting? When, when those conversations come up at work, are you sensing what God is doing and joining the work? And then number three, are you ready to share the gospel? Are you ready to proclaim the good news of Jesus to the world around you? I want you to wrestle with those four questions for a few moments. And we're just going to sing. It's not really a time of response. It's a time of reflection. And let's just contemplate those four statements and ask God to do extraordinary things through ordinary people as we submit ourselves to him, as we surrender to him.